All right, Joshua chapter 3 is where we are today. You remember several weeks ago we started our summer journey through the book of Joshua and today we come to Joshua chapter number 3. Uh, chapter number 3, like chapter number 2, is very interesting. There's a lot going on here. Uh, the writer employs a, a, a very distinct literary device in order to build your suspense and anticipation of this great event of the Israelites crossing the Jordan River. So we really today want to look at it from its literary perspective, but next Sunday we'll come back and look at it more uh, from a textual basis and we'll extract some exegetical principles next week. But today, let's take the 30,000 foot view of Joshua chapter 3 and I'm going to read through verse number 5. So Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves... For tomorrow Yahweh will do wonders among you. Well, we want to focus a little while this morning on a unique Portuguese, a unique Hebrew word that's used in this text. And as Dr. John taught us last week, it is indeed a hypox legumenon, one of those words that's used less than five times in all of Scripture. So it really warrants our focus for a little while. And if I ask you which word that was, I, I wonder if you could pick it out. I mean, there's only about a hundred in this passage. So let me show you. It's in verse 5, and you may want to underline it because it's the word wonders. Joshua said, For tomorrow the Lord, that is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, promise-honoring God, will do wonders among you. So here's our subject for today, maximizing the God moments of life. Because that's really what a wonder is. It's a God moment. Now, many years back, someone asked the famous jazz musician Duke Ellington for his definition of rhythm. And the answer he gave was classic, and it's become rather famous. So I want to quote him verbatim. When Duke Ellington began to think about rhythm, he said, well, here's the definition. If you've got rhythm, you don't need a definition. If you ain't got no rhythm, ain't no definition going to help you. <laughs> and that's kind of the way it is with a God moment. If you have had a God moment, then you really don't need me to spend time up here explaining it to you. If you never have had a God moment, there is nothing that I can say that's going to help you get your mind around what Joshua was talking about when he said, Consecrate yourself because tomorrow 
the Lord will do wonders among you. So, you know, just by a show of hands, how many of you have had a God moment? See, that's what I'm talking about. You, you know what I'm talking about. Now, here's the better question maybe, or here's what perplexes us. How many God moments have we walked right past, Maltus? Like somebody that we walk by and they speak to us and we don't acknowledge them. How many God moments have we missed? How many wonders have we just sped right by and didn't even know that they were there? So maximizing the God moments of life. Number one, how do you see more of them because they're all around us? And number two, how do you get the most out of them? Because God moments are very significant in your life and they're significant in my life. So let's look at this subject again this morning, maximizing the God moments of life. And let's see what this text teaches us in broad sweeping strokes about God moments. Make no mistake about it, this river crossing that is described in Joshua chapter 3 was a God moment in the life of the nation of Israel. So what does this passage teach us about these God moments? Well, normally a God moment defies logical explanation. You see, here's the thing. If you are looking for a God whom you can wrap your mind completely around and you can explain Him down to the last nook and cranny, then by golly, He's not a very big God. You know that? Because you have a very small mind. I have a very small mind. So a God moment, something that God does, this God of wonders, when He does something that would constitute being called a God moment in your life, is going to defy logical explanation. There's no way you can account for it to say God did it. Can't explain it any other way. It's mind-boggling. It's going to blow your mind and it's going to cause you to say, there's no way I can explain what has happened. You won't be able to communicate it concisely to somebody else. As a matter of fact, most of the time, God moments are meant for you and God because you can't explain them. So notice what else we can glean about a God moment. And again, it's this word wonders. Did you know that God gives every one of us, by virtue of being made in His image, God gives us the capacity to wonder. To wonder. I mean, you can see this in little kids. Have you ever noticed a toddler walking around with binky in his mouth and diapers pulled up pretty high? And he's walking in the yard barefooted for the first time in the grass and lo and behold, he or she comes across a grasshopper. Have you ever seen their reaction? I mean, they will stop mid-stride. They'll bend down like a sumo wrestler with that diaper on. Binky falls out of their mouth and they're totally enumerated with this creature that they've never seen before. And they stand there slack-jawed. And you see, that's what a moment of wonderment is for you and I. And look, it's not just children that have it. Oh, now look, you stopped dropping your binky over grasshoppers years ago. But can I tell you, you will never stop 
dropping your bottom jaw at this infinite, incomprehensible God who defies explanation. And that's what a God moment really is. It's this ability to wonder. And here's what the ability to wonder does. Wonder, the ability of wonder gives us the ability to worship. So a God moment, a God moment inspires worship. A God moment inspires worship because wonder is at the heart of worship. God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. And if you do not have the ability to wonder at God or if you don't see God in the capacity that causes you to drop your binky, then listen, you won't worship. You might be in a worship service, but you will not be worshiping because it's the wonderment of God that inspires worship in His people. Notice what else these God moments do. Number one, they inspire worship. But number two, they eliminate worry. They eliminate worry. Why? Because all of a sudden you know who God is. And if I have a God that's incomprehensible, if I have a God who has the ability to stop the flow of the Jordan River and cause water to stack up like egg cartons, then why should I worry about anything? Hey, listen to me. Cancer is no opponent for the God of wonders. It just isn't. Financial crisis is no problem for the God of wonders. If He can stop water from flowing and cause it to stack up on itself, there's nothing that He can't do. So here's what the ability to wonder does, and here's what a God moment does. Number one, they inspire worship. Number two, they, they eliminate worry. So here's the question. If that's what God moments do, if that's what wonders do, how in the world, where in the world can I encounter a God moment and let wonderment take over for just a little while? It's a good question. So here are three places where you can find wonders. You want to have your bottom jaw slacked? Well, just look in one of these three places. Number one, wonders are found in the physical world. In the physical world. Now check out what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. I want you to see this because this explains that wonders are found in the physical world. I mean, and why should they not? I mean, this world is just nothing more, nothing less than the product, the creative genius of the God of wonders. And you see, that's what science does. Science does nothing more than study the wonderful creativity of Almighty God. And check out what it is that, that the psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse number... I'm sorry, Psalm 139. I'm ahead of myself. I stopped at the next passage. So here we go, Psalm 139. And here's your verse reference, verse number 14. Notice what it is the, what it is the psalmist says. I will give thanks to you... Right, wait a minute. Let's connect worship and wonder. Do you see that? Thanks to God. What is he doing? He's worshiping God on the basis of a wonder. And here it is. Look what he said. I will give thanks to you because I am fearfully and what? Wonderfully 
made. Look what else he says. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Do you know what blew this psalmist's mind? What blew his mind was the intricacy of the, of the human anatomy and body. Have you ever stopped and think about it? You are a wondrous marvel. I mean, you really are. I mean, do you know how many things are going on in your body right now in order to sustain life that you aren't even consciously aware of? Huh? I mean, how many times have you thought about the chemical reaction that's taking place right now in your pancreas that gives you the ability to have functioning life? It's a good thing we don't have to think about that maltose. We're not smart enough. We wouldn't last 10 minutes if we had to think about everything that God has programmed into our body to go on. Have you ever thought about the chemical reaction that's taking place in your blood right now to cause you to be able to process oxygen, which you are taking in by your nose, that you're not even thinking about doing? It just happens unconsciously. Have you ever thought about how many neurons are firing in your brain right now? You don't even feel them. And if they stop firing, biological life ceases to exist. I mean, this body is an absolute marvel of creation that came from the hand of the God of wonders. Everybody who studies it, whether you're a registered nurse or whether you're a neurologist, you ought to be one of the greatest worshipers on this planet because you know what God has done. My goodness, it would blow your mind if you knew the intricacies of this body that we just take for granted. Look, ain't no way... You can have one eye and half a brain. If you know the intricacies of the human body, ain't no way you can say that this just happened to crawl out of a pool a primordial ooze about 40 billion years ago. Are you an idiot? I mean, just stop and consider, just stop and, and smell the roses. Ain't no way that could happen even with a one cell organism, let alone with you. Huh? Could not happen. This is the wondrous work of Almighty God. Is it not? I mean, just look at this. <laughs> Had to give you an illustration. <laughs> You're impressed, aren't you? Heather worshipped. <laughs> All right, here we go. Number two. You see, where... Where wonders found, where they're found in the physical world. Hey, listen, not just the human body. Just stop and think about the entire physical universe that God has created. Hey, whether it's something as small as a snowflake. Have you? No, you haven't because you live in Bonifay, Florida. <laughs> but if you lived in Indiana, if you lived in New Jersey, you would have caught at some time in your life a single snowflake. You've probably seen a picture of one. You've probably seen them somewhere. It's amazing the elaborate design of something as insignificant as a snowflake. Where'd that come from? It comes from the hand of its designer, Almighty God. Have you ever sat and just thought a minute about the beauty found in the wing of a butterfly? I mean, my word. And then have you ever backed off and look at the macrocosm and look at some of the pictures that we have from Hubble telescopes and things like that and seen some galaxies that are far away and look at them and think, wow, look at that. Now you know why the hymn writer wrote so many years ago, Oh Lord my God, when I in all 
awesome wonder. Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. And then what does he do when he sees these wonderments? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. My goodness. Wonder, source of wonder number two. Not only are they found in the physical world, but they're also found in the inspired word. Now, I'm not going to ask you to turn there because all you got to do is go to the top of your listening guide because this verse, Psalm 119.18, is the key verse. It's what describes, it's my prayer for my preaching ministry. And if this doesn't happen to me between Sunday and next Sunday, it gets pretty dull and boring in here. You know what I mean? If I don't see something in the text that is a wonder to me, then all you're going to get is a homiletical lecture on Sunday or maybe a history lesson at best. But notice what this verse says in verse number 18 of 119. Open my eyes that I may behold what? Wondrous things out of thy law. Hey, have you ever had a God moment when there was nobody around but you and the Holy Spirit and God's Word? Have you ever done that? Let me tell you what takes place when that happens. A, a, a number of things can take place. But when all of a sudden, when God's Word, you see something wondrous in there that you've never seen before, one or two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to want to get on the floor and just worship for a little while. Or number two, you're going to get up and want to take a lap around the joint because you get so much adrenaline pumping through your body. Because you encounter the God of the Word in the Word of God. Hey, this is just supernatural. It's what God intends. This is God's plan for you every time you open His Word. Because when you open the Word of God, He expects you to have a counter with the God of the Word. That's what it's about. And there are wondrous things in here. Hey, you know what? As long as we have had this book, as long as we have had it, I am fully convinced that there are things in it that we haven't seen and will not see until we get to glory. And Ezekiel says to you, hey, did you read my book? <laughs> There's things in there that I wrote that I didn't even know were there. But let me show you some things that God put in His Word It's so wondrous. My goodness. Wonders are found in the physical world. They're found in the inspired Word. And number two, they are found in His present work. You see, here's the deal. The wonders of God aren't just relegated to history. God is doing wonders today and it's His intention to continue to do wonders. Check out Psalm number 77 and the verse reference is 14. Notice what the psalmist says in 77, 14. He says, For you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strengths among the peoples. So where is it that God does His wonders where is it that this God who works wonders does them? This verse tells us that He primarily does His wonders in the midst of His people. In the midst of His people. Malthus, you know what God's intention is today. God's intention is, is while His people are gathered among His people to do something that causes your jaw to drop open. And you see, it could be something as simple as God 
you have an encounter with God and His Word, God speaking to you through His Word about something that not another human being knew about. But all of a sudden, right here on the seat of this church in Bonifay, Florida, you have an encounter with the eternal God who inhabits all of heaven and earth. You ever been there? You ever done that? You ever been in a room full of people? And all of a sudden, it was like you were in a box and there was nobody there but you and God. That's a God moment. Man, those moments are powerful in our life. And that's what God intends. But corporately, as the people of God, He intends, Malthus, hey, if God doesn't do wonders when we meet on Sunday morning, what are we even doing here? Huh? I mean, He intends for us to have an encounter with Him. He intends for us to have a God moment that causes us to wonder, which leads us to the worship of the God of wonders. So you know where I'm going with this. Man, if we're not connected to God's people, you are cutting yourself off from the cinema which displays the wonders of Almighty God. Wonders are found in the physical world, in the inspired Word, and wonders are found in His present work. So God moments are something that normally defies logical explanation. But notice the second thing that this passage teaches us in large sweeping strokes is this. God moments are recognized through spiritual preparation. Notice in verse number 5 what Joshua said. And here is why we walk past so many of them on so many occasions. Here's why we're unaware and we, we miss a God moment in life. Notice what it is that Joshua said in verse number 5. Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves. There it is. Underline that word. Consecrate yourselves. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I want you to take a little time here and prepare yourselves spiritually for what's going to happen. Because y'all don't know what this day holds. Oh, but I do. And you see, I don't want you to miss this because this is going to be the basis of something big for your future. So Joshua was saying, prepare yourself. Hey, this may have been one of the first times where somebody said, hey, I want you to get up in the morning before you leave the house. I want you to have a little time with God. I want you to sharpen yourself. Think about what He said. Think about what He's doing. Think about who you are. Sensitize yourself to the God of wonders who wants to do something in your world today. Is that your day? You better believe it is. Your day is an opportunity for God to do something that will blow your mind. And many times He opens doors and He does things and because we are so spiritually dull, we miss it. Or we write it off as an intrusion or as something that's just taking my time or trying to distract me when it's really God inviting us to a, a God moment. So... How is it that we prepare ourselves? How is it that you consecrate yourself in order to see the God moments that will transpire in your afternoon or in your tomorrow morning? And here's, I think, what the Scripture tells us. I think Scripture tells us two things, basically, and Malthus has saying well about them today. Notice, the first thing that we are to do if we're going to be spiritually sensitive is we're going to pray for opened eyes. Open my eyes, Lord, 
I want to see Jesus. Look what the psalmist prayed in, at the top of your listening guide. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Hey, unless God opens my eyes, gives me spiritual vision, causes me to be sensitive to what He's doing around me, watch it. I won't see a thing. Do you, do you know what, how much a lost person sees of wonders every day? Look at me. This. You know why? Because they're spiritually blind. Jesus says unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. You can't see what God's doing uh, uh, around you. But the sad news is so many times you and I are seeing on the same level as our lost friends are. And boy, we ought to be able to see so much more. And the only way we'll be able to do that is if we say, God, open my eyes that I can behold wondrous things in your law. Open my eyes that today I can see Jesus. Today I'm setting myself apart. I'm consecrating myself to what you are doing. Give me the ability not to miss the God moments today. Because I promise you, if those Israelites hadn't have done that, and there were some of them that didn't, I can assure you, I can assure you there's some of them that didn't do it. Just like every Sunday there's folks sitting here that don't take the spiritual advice that come from God's Word. You know? There were some of those Israelites that day that said, I ain't listening to Joshua. He's crazy. They're talking Boniface. There's folks in Grace Church that walk out of here blowing everything off. Every I'm not listening to what that preacher said. I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. There were some of them that day that didn't do it. And you know how much of a wonder they saw that day? Zero. Here's what they did. They crossed that river and they thought, well, this ain't no big deal. I can tell you how this probably happened. It was probably a landslide right up where the valley narrows at the city of Adam because it's been raining a lot lately. And there's probably a landslide and it just slid down and dammed up the river temporarily and it just happened to be the moment when we crossed here. Just happened to be. You know how many just happens to be there happens to be in there? <laughs> but that's what, that's, what, that's what spiritually blind folks say. They've always got an explanation even though it don't make sense to anybody but their own twisted logic. Huh? And I'm sure that's what took place. And look, that's what will take place in my life. That's what will take place in your life. If we're not spiritually sensitive. To know, so notice, how is it that we're spiritually sensitive? Number one, we pray for open eyes. But number two, to be spiritually sensitive, practice revealed truth. Did you hear what it was that Aaron read this morning in Hebrews chapter number 5? Check this out again. I want you to see this. Because there is consequence to knowing the truth and not practicing it. Hey, can I say this to you? Hear me very well in the context in which I'm about to say this. You'd be better off not coming to Grace Church than you would be coming and not putting into practice what God says. You're hurting yourself bad. Every time you come and God shows you something from His Word, you say, ah, heck with that. You hurt yourself. You would be better off sleeping on Sunday than coming and not coming with this prayer. God, here I am to worship. 
No matter what you say to me, I have no idea what you're going to say to me today through your word. But if you say it, here I am, I'm going to do it. You remember how the prophet Samuel used to respond when the Lord would speak to him? He'd say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, and whatever you say, I'll do. Can you give God a blank check like that? If not, why not? Hey, I stick to my guns. We would be better off not reading this book than we would be reading it and then thumbing our nose and saying, I'm not going to do it. Because here's what happens. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 14. Look at this. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is, through, is for the mature. Now get this last part. Who because of practice. Practice of what? Practice of doing what the word says. You see, that's the way you grow. You don't grow just by having a lot of memory verses in your head. You grow by seeing what God said to me, even though it may have been in a milk portion of God's Word. I take that milk and I put it into practice and I do it. You come back tomorrow, you're a little bit stronger. You've grown a little bit. You've become a little bit more sensitive to the Spirit of God because you put it into practice. And all of a sudden, you're on a pathway to spiritually, spiritual sensitivity. Look what he says. He says, they have their senses trained, sharpened to discern good from evil. Now let's read this backwards. Do you know what happens when, when you are in God's Word, whether it's in your personal prayer closet, your own devotion time, or whether you're in a public worship service, and God speaks through His Word to a situation in your life, and you say no, you know what you're like? You're like a lawnmower blade that's spinning at about 2,000 RPMs and you hit a brick. Bam! What happens to that lawnmower blade? If it don't shatter, it's going to be blunted severely, is it not? It's no longer going to have a sharp edge. It's going to have a blunt edge. And you see, that's dull. What can you cut with a lawnmower blade that the blade is about that thick on the cutting edge. Not a whole lot. And you see, that's what the writer of the Hebrews is telling us. Hey, here's what our devotion ought to be. God, not, not just speak to me, but God, speak to me because I'm going to put into practice what the Word says. And when that takes place, here's what happens. You take your old rusty, dull blade and you're putting it on a grindstone. You get next to somebody else who's practicing God's Word because they don't want to be dull either. And the Bible says that iron sharpens iron. And the next thing you know, man, you're razor sharp. You're spiritually sensitive. All of a sudden you're seeing things that a month ago you would have walked by and never even batted an eye at them. You're seeing things in the Word that you've never... How many of you have read a verse one month for some reason or another, a chapter went back next month and you said, wait a minute, wait a minute. When did all this get in this chapter? I've never seen this before. It's like, God, you put this in here since I read it last month? You know what that is? That's the normal progress of you becoming more sharp. I promise you, you read the Bible through this year and you're going to get a lot out of it. 
But you stay with it. You read it and you put into practice what it says as you read through it and you come back and do it again next year, you're going to see stuff that you didn't even have a clue was in there. That's the process of spiritual growth and becoming spiritually sharp. You don't miss these God moments. You don't walk past them because you're spiritually sensitive. God moments are recognized through spiritual preparation. But number next, God moments are realized through participation. Participation. How do you bring this thing home? I mean, this, this is not a spectator sport, is it? This, Joshua didn't say, now look, y'all shut up here on that mountain and y'all watch these priests cross this, cross this river. And I hope y'all have a pencil and a paper. Y'all take good notes of what's happening down here because the priest is going to carry this ark and they're going to go across and get over on the other side and y'all watch, take your notes. It seems that that's the pattern of our worship services these days. We got some performers up front and everybody else, y'all watch this and take good notes. No, 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 that's not, that's not what it's about. This is not a spectator sport. This is, this is participation. And, and here's how that God moment meant something to them. Not because they saw it from a distance, but because they participated in it. By golly, when the river stopped flowing, every single one of them walked across on dry ground. Now, had you rather walk across on dry ground or just tell your grandkids about one of your friends who did it? And you see, that's the difference. We've told other people's testimonies too long. It's about time we start participating in the God moments so the testimony becomes ours. This is what God did. This is what God allowed me to participate in. And boy, I'll tell you, that'll transform your world. Now check this out, and I'm done. God moments usually defy logical explanation. God moments are recognized through spiritual preparation. God moments are realized through participation. Joshua told him, when you see the ark, you go behind it. But here's a, a broad sweeping stroke of the brush. God moments are usually an open invitation. An invitation for what? An invitation for you to join him in the next one. Because, I'll tell you what, let me just say it like this. Rarely do I have a thought. You know that? <laughs> but sometimes I have a thought and... I think they sometimes come from the Lord because I'm not smart enough to have a thought without Him. And sometimes I, I write that thought down so I don't lose it. And this week the Lord gave me a thought and I thought, I better write this down or I'm going to lose it. So here's the thought as it relates to God moments. Mickey has it on the screen. Here it is. A God moment is rarely an end within itself. It is one link in a divine chain that strings together a series of wondrous events which lead to the accomplishment of His eternal purpose and glory. You see that? God has little interest in you just having one woohoo moment. He doesn't. A God moment is usually hooked to something else. And why was it so important for these Israelites to have this God moment as God did something miraculous and wondrous as they crossed that river? Because get this. As soon as they cross that river, guess what they're coming up to? A fortified city. How in the world are we going to do this? We don't, there's no way. I mean, we don't even have artillery. 
We don't have weapons. All we've got is broomsticks and mop handles. And look how thick this wall is. Look how big this city is. There's no way we can do it. But wait a minute. We serve a God who just calls water to stand up on its end. And by golly, if He can cause water to stack up like that, these walls are nothing for Him. So I tell you what we're going to do. We're not going to look at walls. We're going to look at the God of wonders and see what He does with this walled city. You see, that's what God moments are for. And guess what, guess what happened at Jericho? They had another what? <laughs> another God moment. And you see, that's what God moments are. They're an invitation for you to experience the next one. Because these God moments are not just an end in itself for us to sit around and stare at it forever and talk about it forever. Hey, when was the last time you had a God moment? I mean, one of those life-defining moments where God drew near and you knew you were standing on holy ground. See, those are those life-defining moments. I promise you that one just leads to another and to another and to another. And before you know it, you look back at a long string of God moments in your life and you see what God has done and all you can say is to God be the glory for the great things He has done. Hey, God's got an appointment for you. Did you know that? The God of heaven and eternity has you marked on His schedule. He has a God moment planned for you today, tomorrow, Tuesday. The question is, will we meet Him there or will we take our own route and miss what it is He's wanting to do? May we see the God of wonders at work in our physical world through His inspired Word. And most of all, right here in the midst of His people for His honor and glory. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, my prayer is that it will sharpen us, not simply because we've heard it, because we are going to become doers of your word. So I pray for those who are here today, Lord, that have never had the defining God moment of life, which is being born again. They've never had that encounter where you have drawn them to yourself, where they realized that they were hopeless in their sin and that Jesus Christ has provided for them not just a way, but the way. So I pray, God, that you stop this noise, number one. whether it's to be a part of your church. Honor and glory. Amen and amen. As Maltus and our team lead us in our closing hymn, Colin Dollar's up front. Uh, Cliff Myers is up front. If God has said something to you today and there's 
an appointment that you have with God and you need to participate in it, come up and find one of these men and let them pray with you. I promise you they'll point you in the right direction. But whatever it is that God has said, in Jesus' name, be a doer of His Word and not a hearer only.